First question this morning. Uh, I want you to think about your childhood for a moment. And uh, I want you to think about maybe some dreams you had when you were a kid or when you were growing up. Anybody. What did you have as a dream when you were when you were growing up, when you were a child? Or, in, you know, in your early teens? Or, yeah, Tom. I wanted to be a pilot. You want to be a pilot? Oh, Airplane oh, pilot. Nice. Like yes. jets, air, airliners, <laughs> anything in the air flying. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Horse riding. Oh, Hor nice. Horse farm? I wanted a horse. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Anybody else? I know we all had dreams. Patty? I wanted to be on Broadway. Oh, Broadway! <laughs> yes! That is a good... Watching online, she said cashier. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how like some of those, some of those like really simple jobs when we were kids seemed like so amazing. Like I remember going to Aquabog and thinking to myself like, oh, I just want to be one of those people at, at the top of the slide just letting people go. I don't know why that just came to me, but anyway. Anybody else? Well, I'll do one more. Uh, yeah, Brenda. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now you totally ruined my 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 example. No, I'm just kidding. To be a mom, that's a that's an awesome dream to have. Yeah, um, I, I wanted to ask you guys that because I think so often uh, in life, for me, I wanted to be a baseball player. I love baseball. I played baseball for a long time. I played baseball, you know, all the way up through uh, high school. Collected baseball cards. I Man, I was just like baseball. Baseball was everything for me. And I always thought, you know, I could grow up to be like a baseball player, a professional baseball player. And I wasn't nearly good enough, uh, but that was one of my things. And then probably halfway through my high school career playing baseball, I thought to myself, mm, yeah, this is probably not going to work out. I'm probably not going to play baseball. I'm probably not going to make a living playing baseball. Probably not going to support myself financially by, by playing baseball. And so it's really interesting because we, a lot of times, we have these uh, dreams and we have these plans and we have these, these uh, imaginations about what our life is going to look like when we're young, you know, when we're really young, when we're growing up, eight, nine, ten years old, into maybe our early adulthood. We have these grand plans sometimes and, and these, these visions of like, okay, like I just know that this is what I'm called to. I know that my life is going to look like this. It's really interesting. Does anybody watch American Idol? Anybody watch American Idol? Yeah, so we, we watch American Idol, you know, we just, Good. But we watch it on Sunday nights a lot of times. It's it's one of our one of our one of the shows that we watch. And we really get a kick out of like 14-year-old, no, not 14, maybe 15-year-olds. 15-year-olds that get up there and they get interviewed and they ask them about their life and they're like, oh my gosh, like my whole life I've just dreamed of of, of doing this. And, and me and Shannon are looking at them like, you're 15. You haven't even started your life yet. 
But there's this, this idea when you're young, it's, you know, you feel like your whole life when you're 15 that you've lived a whole bunch of life that you really haven't lived much. But even at that age, you know, we have these, these desires of dreams uh, in our lives that we want to achieve, that we want to we want to go after. There's a there's a plan that we have. There's a purpose that we have. And so uh, this morning, I wanted to talk a little bit about that and about how sometimes those dreams uh, don't necessarily pan out. The, the the plan that we have for our life doesn't necessarily come to pass. And sometimes we they feel disappointed and discouraged because we've looked at our life a certain way and we we looked into the future and said you know in 10 years my life is going to look like this or this is going to be a characteristic of my life or this is how i'm going to pursue my dreams and so this morning uh, we're going to talk a little bit about and i'm going to keep it short but this morning i want to really dive into the series that we started a couple weeks ago Uh, entitled His Name's Fame. And the idea is this, is that we can live a simple life of purpose for His Name's Fame. That we can live a simple life of purpose, and that purpose is for His glory. For His glory. And that is our simple purpose that we have in our life that God has given us. I think oftentimes... The world, and and to be quite honest with you, the larger church culture has sort of uh, provided for us uh, some false messaging. Uh, A lot of times I I see out there in the church culture that a lot of times we're so busy, the church is so busy, you know, trying trying to get us to figure out our plan. That the church so often, uh, the church culture, sorry, in general, the messaging is that we have to do something in order for God to unlock our plan for us. We're always being asked to step into our destiny. Sounds cool. So much of the messaging I, I see out there is, 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 in my opinion, can be a little bit deceiving because, you know, we're telling people in the church that God is always, always on the precipice of doing something for you. That you just gotta, you gotta figure out how it is to unlock God's plan and purpose for your life. That in some way that we are unable to grasp his plan and purpose and that in some way he is hiding it from us and that we have to do something in order for him to give it to us to reveal it to us sometimes we hear that there's this secret knowledge that 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 someone has that they want to give you and all you have to do is buy this book or go to this seminar, or, or, or spend money on this conference, and, and guess what? God will reveal to you what his plan is. That really grieves me. Because God is not into that. 
God is not saying, you know, you got to dream big. You got to surrender more. You got to desire new levels of intimacy with me in order for me to reveal to you what I want you to do. That's not how God operates. We have been convinced that we must position ourselves for the greatest impact. That our lifestyles must be world changing. And that if we are to experience the everyday miraculous, then somehow we've got to figure out how to surrender more to his will. But see, here's the thing. God is not playing a cat and mouse game with us. He's not playing a cat and mouse game with you. He's not sitting there saying, I need more from you in order for me to unveil my plan for you. This is a gospel of works. This is a gospel of heavy yokes placed on believers unnecessarily. That in some way we have to do something or earn God's favor in order for him to unveil his purpose for us. That in some way his will is being hidden from us because we have to do something in order for him to reveal it. And yet, so we, when we are feeling and living a life of disappointment sometimes, when we feel like we don't know God's will for us, we are living in a place of disappointment and disillusionment because we've been told, I'm not doing enough in order for God to reveal his plan for me. That couldn't be further from the truth. This is not the gospel of Christ. It is not the gospel of grace. It is a gospel of heavy yoke, a heavy burden put on the church by people who want to preach for shameful gain. This is a gospel of heavy works that people want to put on you so that you can run to them instead of running to the word to figure out what your plan, what his plan is for you. So this morning, I want to share a little bit about how it is that we can discover God's will, his plan, and his purpose for our lives. And it's not going to cost you a thing. Not going to cost you a thing. All you need is one of these. And guess what? These are like 30, these are, a little, these are kind of a little bit expensive. They can be expensive. But guess what? If you've got a phone... They're free. You just hop on Holy Bible app, bam, download it. And guess what? You have access to God's will, God's plan, and God's purpose for your life. Now, don't get me wrong. I read books. I read books, okay? I'm not saying don't go out and buy books. But what I am saying is, is that so often we look to extra biblical sources for things that are already in Scripture that we can access on a daily basis. And that includes his will, his plan, and his purpose. So this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I want to clarify a couple things. And here, here are those three things that we're going to look at over the next four or five weeks. What is will? Or what is God's will? Quite simply this. God's will is what he has determined to do. That is his will. What is his plan? How he will determine to do it or how he will accomplish it. And what is his purpose? 
It is why he determines and accomplishes. So more plainly, his will is what? His plan is how, and his purpose is why. Now, these terms are found 59 times in the New Testament alone, in 56 books. 59 times these are found in 56 different passages of the New Testament. So what is his plan? What is his will? What is his purpose? More specifically, his will is this, to express and demonstrate the immeasurable riches of his beauty and his attributes and his love and his grace. That is his will. That God wants to put himself on display for the world to see. That's his will. That's what he wants. What is his plan? How is he going to do this? Well, he's already done it. God's plan for his will is Christ. He brings Christ into the world and unveils Christ into the world in whom these attributes are most richly displayed, expressly his salvation for us. How does God most richly express his love and his grace and his mercy? It is through his son who offers us reconciliation and salvation through forgiveness of our sin by the blood of him when he died on the cross. That is the plan. And what is the purpose? It is for his name's fame. It is for his glory. And so in this lies our plan. In this lies his plan for us. God has revealed to us his son, and God has revealed to us Jesus as his good work. And as a response to that good work, he has called us and created in us for good works. That in, the, in response to his good work, which is Christ, we are created for good works in response to his good work on our behalf. That is his plan. It's not complicated. It really isn't. And yet we search and we seek and we constantly in our lives are trying to figure out, God, what do you want to do with my life? We sometimes constantly live in this disillusionment of, of, of trying to figure out, God, how am I going to unlock your plan for me? How is it that you are going to reveal it? What is it that I have to do? He's already shown it to us in his word. By his good work, through the hope of salvation and reconciliation, God causes in us a desire for the simplicity of good works. That's his plan. So often we have traded the simplicity of service for the heavy yoke of purpose. We have exchanged the peace of good works for the confusion of grand plans. Simply stated this, God's plan is for us to walk in good works as a response to his grace for the purpose of his name's fame. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8 says this, 
This is the plan of God. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is the plan. Christ is the plan. So that through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus. What is God's plan? It is to make his name famous in the earth. And the primary way in which he does that is through the church because he has revealed through the church the manifold wisdom of himself. God's manifold wisdom and the riches of his mercy and grace are made and put on display in Christ so that the church who puts their faith in Christ can express those rich attributes of God to their, to their people. Amen. That is his plan. And what is our plan for us? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. This is going to be one of our pillar texts for this series over the next four weeks. And it, Paul says this, For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, but a gift from God. This is not of your own doing, but a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For you are his workmanship. You are God's workmanship. You have been formed and fashioned that God went to work and created you. And when he went to work and created, he created you. You are a product of God. You are a product of his work. And what were you created for? Paul says, you were created for good works in Christ Jesus so that he prepares them for you to walk in. You are, you are created in Christ Jesus for good works, what he has prepared for you to walk in. That is what you were created for. You don't need to buy a $40 book to figure out what God's will and plan for your, for your life is. It's for you to walk in good works. That's his plan. That's his will. And why is it that he has given us this? Why is it that he has created us in this way, fashioned us for this? Because it is a response to the good work that he has already done on the cross. It is because I have done the good work on your behalf. Now you are called into a life of good works for my name to bring fame to my name. Every good work starts with our hope in Christ. Every good work must start with our hope in Christ and in his word. Paul said this to 2 Timothy about the word. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God, all scripture is breathed out by God. Profitable for teaching, 
profitable for reproof, profitable for training in righteousness. Why? So that every man of God, every woman of God is equipped and complete for what? Every good work. So often I think the church culture has manipulated the ideas of, the, of plans and purposes into, into something that we are put, to put our hope in. We are not to put our hope in plans or purposes or dreams. We are not to put our hope in those things. We have been convinced that uh, our hope in our purpose will bring us peace. It never will. That once we figure out God's purpose for my life, I will have peace. That's what we've been told. But that is not true. We will not have a sense of peace in God through purpose. Or when we figure out his plan. I was listening to a video um, uh, by someone who's fairly famous uh, in the charismatic movement and uh, they made a statement that sort of baffled me a little bit. They said this, they said, without the vis visualization of the outcome of purpose, I don't have hope. <laughs> and we're not to say, you find hope by having a vision. Hope helps me to have a vision, and vision helps me to have hope. That couldn't be further from the truth. I'm just telling you. Our vision must be set on one hope, and that is Christ. Our vision must be set on one hope, and that is Christ crucified for me, for you. Our hope is set in him, not on plans, not on purposes, not on dreams, but our hope is set in Christ alone. In him as the person who has died for us on our behalf. In who we have the forgiveness of sin. In who was resurrected so that we have hope that we will be resurrected with him. That is our hope. That is the only hope we put in. That is the only thing we put hope in. It is him. It is him. My hope is not in visions or dreams and grand plans. My hope is not in purpose, but in a person. In a person. Paul said that to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 7 says this. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. And I would consider this type of teaching a silly myth what we've been given and what has been propagated by um, people in the church that we in some way, somehow have to figure out and manipulate God to figure out our purpose and our plan and his plan for us. That is a silly myth that is not supported by the truth. It's not supported by scripture. God does not operate that way. He's not playing hide and seek with you. He's not playing cat and mouse with you. He has already revealed to you, to me, to us, what his will is, what his plan is, and what his purpose is. And he's already shown us in the truth what our plan is in his plan. But this is what Paul says. 
have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. To this end, we toil and strive. So this is the reason why we're doing what we're doing, because we have hope set on what? The living God. That's it. Who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So our good works must be predicated on the hope we find in Christ, never in the good work. When we participate and understand that we've been created for good works in Christ Jesus as a response to the good work that he did for us on our behalf, it always must be predicated in the hope of a person, not in the hope of a good work, not in the hope of a plan, not in the hope of his will, not in the hope of dreams. It's always predicated on Christ. And when it's predicated on him, we will be able to live a life created in Christ for good works. So you're wondering, what is a good work? And this is where I really want to demystify things for us, that it's not complicated. This life is not complicated. First thing, we are to be zealous for good works. In Titus 2, Paul tells, tells Titus that you must be zealous for good works. And that word zealous in the Greek, you know what that means? It means zealous. <laughs> it means zealous. It means to desire, to be jealous for. We are to desire good works. That, that in Christ, when we are created in him, that it should give us a desire, that God should cause in us a desire for good works. So what are they? How can we practically look at the scriptures and see how it is that we can live a life of good works? This morning, I just want to share a couple of them with you in certain aspects and certain applications. So this morning, it's going to be basically about how we perform good works or how we participate in good works as men, as women, and as wives and as husbands. And you'll be really surprised that a lot of you are doing them right now. And you didn't have to go to a conference to figure it out. And you didn't have to buy a book to figure it out. But you're actually already doing them. And the scriptures say, and the truth tells us what they are. So we, we know what they are. We know how to walk in good works because the scripture shows us what they are. So in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So here we see Paul making a comparison between knowing the scripture that equips us for every good work. He says, older men are to be sober-minded. Older men, be sober-minded. This is a good work. Be sober-minded in all that you do. Dignified, be honest, be trustworthy. When you are trustworthy and honest, you are participating in a good work. You are fulfilling the plan that God has for you. When you are honest and trustworthy and deal with people with integrity. 
self-controlled. When we are self-controlled, men, we are participating in a good work. We are honoring and bringing glory to God when we are self-controlled. That we are giving glory to God and we are making his name famous when we are self-controlled. When we don't react in the way that we would like to. When we have patience for someone. That is a good work. Sound in faith. When you are steadfast in your faith. When you trust in Christ in every situation, even as Jeff shared earlier, when, when, when things looked down for them financially, they trusted God with everything in their lives. And when they trusted him, they were sound in their faith. That is a good work. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Be honoring to one another in your behavior. Not slanderers. Don't talk about others behind their back. Don't gossip. And let me just say this, that these, these good works are not mutually exclusive to gender. Okay? Men, don't talk about one another behind each other's back. Don't gossip. When you are self-controlled in how you present yourself, you are participating in a good work. But Paul says here, women, do not slander, do not be slaves of much wine. Be self-controlled in your alcohol intake. Now I will say, this is not mutually exclusive for women. Men, be controlled in your alcohol intake. Okay? I've got to participate in that good work as well because I like sometimes me a glass of scotch. Macallan 12. <laughs> really good. I actually had one Friday night or actually I had two but I left it there. I was self-controlled and I was not a slave of my scotch. That is a good work. I performed a good work. They are to teach what is good. And so train young women to love their husbands and their children. Women, when you are mentoring and discipling other women and training them up in the ways of Christ, that is a good work. You are participating in those good works right now. Don't be discouraged. Don't be disappointed. Don't be deceived into thinking that you have not discovered God's plan for your life and that you have to somehow manipulate God to unlock it for you. He has already given it to you. He's already given it to us. He's already given it to us through his word. His plan and his will for you is to participate in good works so that you can honor him and make his name famous. Young men, or older men, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be what? A model of good works. So that when we do all of these things, older men, when you are discipling younger men, when you are teaching younger men in the ways of Christ, when you are teaching younger men to be self-controlled, to be dignified, to be honoring, 
When you're in those types of relationships, those mentoring relationships, both men and women, guess what you were doing? You are modeling good works, which Christ, uh, which you were created for in Christ Jesus because you've received him and his grace and his mercy by faith. And lastly, husbands and wives. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. So wives, when you, when you submit to them, not in a slavish way, but out of honor to them, when you submit to them and, and you follow their lead in matters of spiritual and spirituality, of following God, when you follow their lead in, in matters of life, in matters in the home, and whatever, whatever that looks like, that is a good work. That is honoring to God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, when you live a sacrificial life and lay down your life for your wife, that is a good work. When you sacrifice everything to provide for her, that is a good work. When you lay down your life for your family, that is a good work. Husbands, when you, um, when you carry along and when you come alongside your wife um, in, her, in, her, in the process of her becoming more Christ-like and helping her, that is a good work. Wives, when you come alongside your husband and you encourage him to pursue God and to be trained up and to be equipped in, in Christ, that is a good work. Get the picture. And I'm going to end here, Ephesians chapter 1. What is the purpose of all these things, guys? What is the purpose of these good works that are so readily available to us and that we're doing right now. We're doing these things right now. That they're not a mystery. God in no way is trying to hold back his plan for you because you haven't surrendered enough to him. God is not just sitting there and, and, and tempting you with something greater that he never fulfills. So often we're told that, you know, you're always on the, the precipice of God doing something in your life. You guys ever hear that? that? Oh, God is just, he's just right there. He's waiting. He, it's coming. It's coming. You're going to see a breakthrough. So often that is the language. And we're always left in this place of wanting and, and desiring, and yet, yet, yet we move from, from situation to situation, month to month, year to year, and we keep hearing, God's on, the, God's on the move. He's about to do something in your life. <laughs> and you keep asking yourself, God, when is that going to happen? Well, I want to tell you something, that he's already done something in your life. He's already sent his son to die for you, 
to, to, so that you can receive forgiveness, so that you can be reconciled to him. And he's already given you the truth of his word in which you can dive into and be nourished by and be fed by. And in that word, God says to you, this is my will for you. This is my plan. It is for you to honor and glorify me through your good works so that my name can be made famous. That's it. Ephesians 1, 11 through 12 says this. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope, this is all predicated on hope, that as we hope in Christ, that it might be to the praise of his glory. That is God's purpose. That in our hope in him, what would be the result? The praise of his glory. That we would praise and make his name famous. That the hope he's given us in Christ is for one purpose, for the fame of his name, for the praise of his glory. Glory, So that when you participate in every good work that I just laid out, when you participate in every good work that the Bible says that we should be walking in and we are created for, that when we do that, what are we doing? We are bringing praise to God. We are bringing praise and we are glorifying God and we are bringing a praise to his name and we are making his name famous with our very lives, with the way and we conduct our lives. Yes. This is simple. And it's meant to be simple. And it's meant to be light. Because Jesus said, you come to me, my burden is light. I will not put on you a heavy yoke of works to manipulate God to reveal your purpose. I've already shown you my purpose and it is to give me glory because you've been created in Christ Jesus to walk in good works in which he's prepared for you beforehand. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Listen to that. It doesn't say the plan of God is for you to participate in good works. It says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Participate in every good work that God has purposed for you and he will establish his plan in your life. And his plan is predicated on good works. Not that we're saved by them, not that we find our hope in them, but it comes from a desire that God causes in us because we are resting in the good work that he accomplished through his son. Amen?